The Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast is proudly supported by Prince Wine Store. Prince Wine Store bring wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world and they deliver Australia-wide. Visit princewinestore.com.au and enter the promo code MESS at the checkout to receive a special Don't Shoot the Messenger listener discount. So is this all the footy department's fault or does it go higher than that? It goes to the top. I've never heard the backlash against Nathan Buckley and Eddie Maguire like I have on Talkback over the past week or two. People are genuinely furious. As Mike Murphy, one of my other favourite podcasters, said the other day, it's like America has coughed up that orange hairball and (laughs) thrown it down the toilet. It covers the courting of Charles and Diana and what a horrifying, horrifying story it is. It covers the Queen's realisation that all four of her children have got some serious issues. He wonders whether he was driven because the relationship he never had with his father and deep down the little boy wants to prove something to the father. Well, you had me at the first page there. <laughs> like, I'm so with that. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. And welcome, everybody, to episode 152 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson, and Corrie Perkin is with me. Welcome, Corrie. Hello, Caro. Lovely to see you. Hello, Miss Jane. And Miss Jane has brought in jasmine, which smells heaven. And speaking of, Susie Susie Stroud um, has been in touch with us on social media with a picture of her beautiful sweet peas, as we have discussed. Oh, by the way, Corrie, you should see my broad beans. They're gift that keeps on giving. Anyway, Susie Stroud really enjoyed the last two pods, but then again, she enjoys them every week. Great work. That's a very nice way to start the show, Corrie. We also have, well, some of the other messages, including Jane Horn, she's captured it for me. She wants a whole episode dedicated to The Crown. We are going to touch on The Crown today. Oh, how many have you watched? Four. Um, started the fifth one last night. That's and me. Thought, I can't. That's I just, me. Yeah. I, well, I, we're doing two a night. So yeah, we did so Monday night yeah. and Tuesday night. But last night I got to the end of the fourth. I went, oh. So I started on me Mr. Too. Fagan, the man yeah, at the end of the too. Queen's bed. And I went, oh, no, look. No, it's the whole episode. I, it's a whole night. As Anna from the aware. op shop said, you need to be totally focused, every nuance. Anyway, we'll talk about that in a moment. We're also going to visit the cop cocktail cabinet again and today's special drink is Shabley. We're going to talk very briefly about how the Collingwood Football Club has completely botched their salary cap and mistreated their players and members. We will touch on the Royals as I said but Corrie and you've got a great new book. I think it's the Barack Obama book. I have. Which is going to be interesting. I've got a recipe from a very good male friend of mine that you are going to love. and I'm I've, going to love the male or I'm going to love Well, the... you do love the male, but you'll love his recipe. And oh. I have been to the movies. I've actually been to the movies and sat in the cinema and I've seen a great Aussie film. Yay! Federal politics to kick off, Corrie. The government dodged a bullet really, didn't they? Did it, Was it because of Joel Fitzgibbon, in your view? Absolutely, Joel Fitzgibbon. So Joel Fitzgibbon... Please explain. Well, Joel Fitzgibbon... Uh, one could say there was a bit of an argy-bargy in the party room, the um, Federal Labor Party room last week, and Joel Fitzgibbon resigned from the front bench and took himself off to the back bench after a rather heated exchange um, with a couple of the ministers. And um, I'm just... It, it's over all, climate it's change. all over the ALP, yeah, all over the ALP climate change policy. There's been a bit of dithering what to do, and it... it 
in in a week, Carol, when we should have really been focusing on the, I mean, the whole four corners, let's call it the bonk ban, but it's bigger than that. It's about female representation in parliament, in particular in the Liberal Party ranks and why there are so few. Uh, it, this suddenly became the story. The Australian Judith Sloan, her um, article that just ripped apart the ALP, no wonder Joel Fitzgibbon has given up on catatonic labour was probably not surprising in the Australian. That was the headline. And I guess the question here is, is labour still about protecting blue-collar workers? That's what um, Joel Fitzgibbon's point was, that in fact his area, Hunter, he's the member for Hunter, which of course is the big coal mining area in New South Wales, and he is trying to protect jobs. I think there's an acknowledgement worldwide that even unions, big business, everybody is starting to come around to the fact that there is going to be uh, emissions, uh, you know, um, what am I trying to say? Um, A proper emissions scheme. Yeah, exactly. And and that, that industries do have to change and adapt as a result. Even unions have come on board. And so whether Joel Fitzgibbon is uh, the woolly mammoth of this whole discussion, I'm not really sure. But he did tell his caucus colleagues on Tuesday that he was taking himself off to the back bench. He was going to uh, contest the New South Wales seat of Hunter again, but he said that he would be speaking up for the ALP's blue-collar base. And um, anyway, there was just all argy-bargy. He's seen but, as but now being Im- quite, um, quite, quite, a, quite a lone wolf. But that should not detract from the fact that the the Four Corners story that exposed two ministers and alleged extramarital affairs when both have campaigned on family values, when they're both members of the government that have a terrible, well, a terrible record in terms of women in their ranks, in fact, less than 20 years ago, and Labor obviously seemed to be okay in that area. But- Seven of the 30 government ministers are women. Caro, but, but, and there are fewer Liberal women sitting in the lower house than there were twenty years ago. While the number of opposition women has doubled, I so, just I just couldn't believe the fact that Rachel Miller's story. And yes, she was a married woman who had an affair with a married man. And um, the Prime Minister made the point, Scott Morrison, that it was consensual and it was pre bonk ban and don't call it a bonk ban and blah blah blah. She's made a bullying complaint. She's she's made a complaint about bullying. She's talked about the way she was treated, shunted around like she was damaged goods and ultimately removed altogether. And, you you know, you compare the treatment by the media. Samantha Maiden just nailed it, nailed it on um, it's your crush of the week this week, so I can't make mine Samantha Maiden. But on The Insiders on Sunday, she said, Emma Hussar, the New South Wales um, member, she wasn't even in... um, a minister. He was just a parliamentarian. Was relentlessly pursued by the media. News Limited, News Limited's treatment of her was appalling. Microphones shoved in her faces, day in, day out, outside her house. Alan Tudge puts out a press release and says he regrets it. No one's gone near him. The media have completely left him alone. It was another bullying complaint, except this time it was by a woman who I think there's a real issue um, structurally with these complaints being put through to the Department of Finance because they're a toothless tiger. Nothing ever happens. And they've just allowed it to go away. It's It's, absolutely appalling. It is appalling. The double standards in terms of gender are absolutely crazy. Well, first of all, I mean, Scott Morrison came out, first of all, saying that he wasn't impressed with this bonk ban terminology. Okay, 
Let's move on from that. Small well, he's point. happy with ScoMo, and he's happy with he's <laughs> exactly. Happy, and he's a marketer. Happy. He comes from an advertising background. Yeah, that, Caro. That should be it's all. He the, should be all over that. It's all slogans. And then he said he wasn't happy with the way Tudge or Christian Porter were portrayed in the Four Corners. Well, I presume he wasn't happy with the way they were portrayed because they they performed badly. They were men behaving badly. But it was an insinuation that Four Corners somehow had done something scurrilous that I found I found the I found the Prime Minister's tone on this last week unpalatable to oh, be honest. Oh, and the treatment of Louise Milligan was absolutely and, and crazy. Outrage, it, exactly about how the story was presented. But the why does the Four Corners story still matter? Now regardless of your politics, the way women still find themselves treated in politics in Canberra, that whole Canberra bubble that we talked about last week, um, and whether they are female politicians who are bullied and threatened by male colleagues, which has happened, or whether they are staff members whose careers, long-term careers, suffer as a result of this power imbalance, it, this is a massive issue because, honestly, we, look, we should look to our leaders of our government as uh, best practice, shouldn't we, really? I mean, if you're if you if you're a partner in a law firm, you know where are you finding your core ethics and values and your legislative oh, guidance and, but, on but, issues but the like get this? Out, the, the get out excuses, Corrie, the sort of oh Canberra, it should never have been like this. It's unlike anywhere else in the world. It's a bubble, and people are forced to live away from their families, and it's just too difficult. You have to turn to alcohol and womanising, and you just go extramarital stuff. That that is the greatest cop out I have ever heard. Well. Does the same thing happen in Washington where all senators and congressmen and women have to go to uh, to do their job? Is the same. So, And also Canberra has been there for nearly 100 years, Caro. So it's time that we all kind of adapted and got that out of our head. I agree. I think this has really been. And now, of course, the big story this week, ro- robo-debt, which is an extraordinary story in itself and a scandal. But that, again, is sending this Four Corners issue, this Louise Milligan investigation and the bigger issues that it raises literally like back in, in the back picture. And I and I really think that we should just keep hammering on about this because... Well, well Christian Porter is an interesting one. Interesting that the Victorian Bar Council lawyer who tipped a bucket on him and his behaviour at university, he's now left the Victorian Bar Council. I'm not sure of the whole story behind that and I should, I should know more about it, but that was an interesting sort of cameo story to go with that. And yes, some of his behaviour, as we said last week, as a younger person, should not necessarily be um, something we standardise and judge him on now. But I still don't think anyone who I was cl- am close to I would be impressed if they'd made the comments about women that he did, even as a young student. And I just find it weird that he's completely denied having a relationship with this woman when so many people saw it. Anyway, um, Bill Shorten's back in town too. That's He's been here, there and everywhere. Look out, Anthony Watch Albanese. Out. Yeah, exactly. Bill Shorten is, has another agenda, I feel certain. Although in his defence, he is the spokesperson uh, who's, um, I can't remember, it's government business, I think, or I'll think of the name in a second. Yeah, Corrie. Um, but he's the shadow minister for um, for that and, and or Nas- National Disability Insurance Scheme plus the shadow minister for government services. So both of those uh, ministries do fall under this Robocop. Uh, Robocop. Did I say that? Robo-debt. <laughs> Robo-debt. Please, Corrie. <laughs> Please. Now, you've been you working should. too hard in the bookshop. Now, um, The Crown. Oh, yes, well. The Crown ca- started on Sunday night. We're all very excited about it. But how extraordinary that story on the 7.30 report on Monday night about Martin Bashir mm. and his behaviour. I had no idea. 
So the, well, we now know that the BBC helped cover up his behaviour. What's well, alleged? It's alleged. Allegedly coerced. Yeah. So Martin the Princess Bashir, of Wales. That's right. To give that interview that became the, the interview that changed the monarchy forever. Correct. So Martin Bashir at the time was a 32-year-old BBC journalist, Caro, uh, quite uh, charismatic, very talented. We gather he befriended um, Charles Spencer, brother of Diana Spencer, and said that he had heard on the grapevine that there were uh, people within the palace, palace insiders as they call them, who were anti-Diana and actually produced some documentation. It now turns out that this documentation appears to have been completely fraudulent and made up. The BBC, of course, is in a muck sweat about this. To the BBC's defence, uh, none of the people there, um, I think, they call it the Security General or the General... I can't remember what the head of the BBC is called. It sounds rather army-like, but anyway, he was a young pup at the time, so he has. No, there's no knowledge of the current regime, and they've said they're taking these allegations very seriously and, um, and conducting their own investigations into it. But Earl Spencer allegedly was uh, seconded by Bashir to encourage Diana to do the interview. Basically, look what they're saying about you, Di... So what do you want the right of reply? So Diana goes into that. At the time, the Prince, uh, Prince and Princess of Wales had separated, but there was no divorce on the agenda. Within a month of this interview, the Queen has said, get a divorce right now. And she was stripped of some of her royal privileges, including her security guard. And the argument is, if she had still had a security attachment that night in Paris, none of that would have happened. Well, yes. I mean, it's all a bit of a long bow. Maybe he would have escaped them anyway, and maybe he still would have been with Dodie. Look, who knows? Who knows? It, it's pretty horrifying. And I'm just disappointed that Martin Bashir, who did that unbelievable interview, has turned out to, well, he's been a... Well, he's on long, he's on leave at the he's moment. He's on COVID due to leave. COVID leave. But and he has been He's a religious re- reporter yeah, for the BBC. Right. It's, it's, his career, I had no idea his career had been so checkered. And um, I'm really dizzy. It's a bit of a bad well, we don't. Well, we don't know yet. Nothing's been proven yet. So just wait. But it's interesting, Caro, that in the lead up to the Crown Series 4, and it's probably just a coincidence, there has been this spate of royal books. You and I have talked about Finding Freedom, which is the most interesting read on Harry and Meghan and their uh, the, their exit from uh, the centre stage of royal life. But there's also a really terrific book at the moment, Robert Lacey, called Battle of Brothers, which is looking at Harry and William's relationship. Robert Lacey is a long-time royal writer, yep. a, a, an historian and a journalist of absolute repute. And so this is a fascinating book. And then, of course, we've got the slightly whimsical The Windsor Diaries, A Childhood with the Princesses by Alethea Fitzladen Howard, whose grandfather ran the Windsor estate. And Alethea has memories of growing up with the two princesses. Oh, how sweet is that? Well, this this series, I mean, every pretty much everyone will have started it by now, I'm sure. But look, it covers the Thatcher years. It covers the courting of Charles and Diana. And what a horrifying, horrifying story it is. It covers the Queen's realisation that all four of her children have got some serious issues. And we watch it in the... Um, and and she hasn't been such a great mother. Yeah, well, that's that's mm. part of it. Well, she's questioning her. There are a lot... A lot of um, oh, what's it called? Soul the place searching. up in Scotland. Oh, Balmoral. A lot of Balmoral, yes. and I, I'm with Maggie and Dennis. What a miserable, wet, sort of depressing, and what a bunch of old snobs they all were. It's interesting. Prince Philip is a bit still a shocking snob, but a bit nicer. We've got the Lord Louis Mountbatten 
assassination by the IRA. We've got the Falklands War. We haven't yet, I haven't yet got to the Australian tour. But we have Diana. We have Diana, who at, when we first saw her, I went, oh, no, completely wrong. I'm completely transfixed by her now. I think this, to think that we watch this in real time and, you know, you and I got together with my mother and Marsley and we had the Lil and we had the celebration with the royal wedding and to think that she was treated like that. You know, there was the over the the analogy of the stag I think went on a little bit too long. That was really heavy and it's interesting that the stag yeah, analogy the was also used in the, the Queen movie, but exactly. in a it's different incredible. way. But um this woman thrown to the wolves, this teenager. It is an absolute it's a ripper and Camilla Parker Bowles. And as you you said, it happened in our real time because, of course, Diana and I are actually the same age, give or take a couple of months. And uh, so we... What really, I'm not going to give anything away about this at all because I think... Well, we all know what happens. We all know, exactly right. We all know what happens. But just in terms of the series itself, there are moments where... This is all about a teenager who was too young to... and, and, And... completely swept away with the idea of Charles, who she'd met once through her older sister, Sarah, and completely uh, looking for the Prince Charming thing. So that's how she, how she is portrayed in the early part of the and No family support, four. no real family support. Where were the sisters? Where... Absentee mother. So what's really interesting, Caro, is that when Horrible she... Horrible bossy, gra- she, snobby she grandmother. Meet, she meets Charles, what, eight or nine times or something before he proposes. So it's a complete match organised. And I love that scene where they're all on the phone. Princess Margaret's on the phone to the Queen Mother. You know, has he proposed yet? Princess Anne, they're all in on it. They all know. And Diana from that moment is shunted off to Buckingham Palace where she's left alone because Charles goes on a six-week tour. Ten, a ten-week tour? Well, I thought it was six. So, so Queen won't so take there, her calls. There they are. There she is in this palace and she suddenly gets an idea of what this is going to be like. She can't see her friends. She can't go out. She's basically a prisoner. She's doing ballet uh, in one of the big courtrooms. I loved that scene when she puts on her roller skates and she, she puts Duran Duran on her old-fashioned um, kind of earphones and she skates around the palace in her pink and white checked pants, gingham pants, to Girls on Film by Duran Duran and she's looking at the royal portraits. It, it, it was a girl crying for help, get me out of here. And I was very emotionally affected by that because she was our age and I thought, my God, at 19 or 20, it was, really? I mean, I was very married very young. I, as you know, I was married at 22 and I, like everybody thought that was crackers. She was married at 20 and then taken away from the life that she knew and stuck in a palace. You, you, it, I think the other, the other thing about this series that I'm loving is a comparison of the Thatcher children and the, Roy, the Windsor children and the bad, you know, the clear disastrous family dynamics of the Thatcher twins, um, Mark and Carol. Isn't Dennis Thatcher fantastic? He's just fantastic. He's he was great tr- in the, qu- in, uh, in the uh, Meryl Streep. Br- Brendan said Thatcher. when it came on, and Brendan is not interested in the royals that much, but he goes, he, the minute he came on, he said, I love Dennis Thatcher. I think- <laughs> but do you remember the, the royal, um, what was the name? Iron Lady? What was the Meryl Street playing yeah. M- Margaret Thatcher? Was, was it called it Co- Iron Lady? I think it was called Iron Lady. Well, yeah. The Dennis Thatcher character, and that was fantastic as well. What a prop. What a sensible chap. And the fact that Maggie Thatcher's making dinner for them each night in at, at Downing Street. Oh, Gillian Anderson is fantastic. She is great. At first I thought I'm not going to buy her and then I completely did. Um, Olivia Olivia Coleman yes. as the Queen is brilliant again. Um, much pre- Princess Margaret has, funnily enough, this series become the voice of reason, which is pretty funny. But And Princess I, Anne. 
Princess Anne's watching fantastic. Her, watching her break down behind the scenes. Oh, I mean, well, is, she's the only one. She's the only one of the children I actually sort of like. Charles has become a. Oh, what well, a isn't stunting. this interesting? So Charles, in the last couple of days since the Crown premiered around the world, Charles, friends of Charles have come out saying that this is a shocking representation of Charles. Charles allegedly is not watching this series. I wonder whether his children oh, will. Oh, jeez, I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. Well, we're watching in, in the with the knowledge sort of haunting us of the. Diana and Charles's two children falling out, one of them leaving the royal family and behaving sort of pretty badly, to be honest. And, of course, the Prince Andrew scandal where, the, where he's been virtually excommunicated. And so, oh, look, I am absolutely loving it. There is going to be another series there after is. this, They've said there? number five. Five is the last one. Oh. Five and so will be the last one. Peter Morgan is married to Gillian Anderson. Correct. Is that right? The yeah. writer is married to Gillian Anderson. She just does a fantastic job. It's really worth looking at. I prefer this one to series three. I'm preferring it oh. too, and I didn't think I would because I thought it would all be too relevant. I think the first series will always, for me, just be, I thought that was absolutely brilliant. But the word, the word that hovers across this series for Caro, entitlement, Entitlement, and as you said, with the Balmoral scene. So, of course, the new oh. Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher and Dennis, as all Prime Ministers are every summer, they're invited up to Balmoral, and their awkwardness. This perfectly sensible middle-class couple who are made fun of, who are made to feel like lesser people by the parlour games and the stalking. Poor Margaret Thatcher wasn't told she had to take gum boots to go out in the moors. So when she's out there in high heels, they all laugh at her. It's it was a pretty ridiculous outfit to go stalking in. But, I mean, all that shooting of beautiful animals, I mean, the whole thing is just – anyway, I, I think it's fantastic. I think it's absolutely – it's a wonderful sort of story of two worlds coming together and the move, you know, the change from the old world to the new yeah. world and how they struggled to really keep up and how the children are just completely lost. Yeah, completely. Yeah, it, look, it's great. Great family Charles drama. Is a lot. The, now that he's finally with Camilla and he's able to – you know, he's got his organic garden, he's done all the wonderful things things in Cornwall. He probably has ended up being a really nice man, but he was a spoiled, dreadful, mm. imper- and he should never have. If you read the, bio- the biography that came out last year of him, nothing much has changed. Caro, that's The Crown on Netflix, and I want to ask you about the Collingwood Football Club. Not that I follow Trade Week, but I have been following the stories in the fallout. What on earth is going on? Has Nathan Buckley just decided to throw a bomb in the players' department in the dressing room and oh, let it go off? Well, Corey, I, I did predict this um, in the week or two leading up to the grand final. See, that's the sort of they were going. That's the sort have, of podcast we have here, potties. They were always going to have a terrible off season because the salary cap issues they have, which they pushed aside, pushed aside, pushed aside, pushed back, pushed back, exploded. But what they, what Colin would have done that I find so reprehensible or really um, immoral is the wrong word, but for years they have been telling us, three or four years that we have to, and all clubs are doing it, we have to respect players and their mental health issues and that the media, you know, Mark Robinson was absolutely pilloried for making a comment about Alex Fazzolo that was seen as inappropriate. He was forced to apologise and he probably should have. They put out a documentary two years ago celebrating their, wrapping their arms around Adam Trelaw because of his bout with mental health issues and his real struggles at certain times during 2018, 2019. Then when Adam Trelaw gets too difficult for them because they've paid him far too much money and they've back-ended his contract to a ridiculous degree to 2025, they they could have given his partner, 
who was a very good netballer, a new contract. She'd played with him in the past, Kim Revellian, but they didn't. And no one can tell me why they didn't, but she's gone up to play with the Firebirds. They start leaking to the media that they don't think he'll be able to cope without his wife and his partner and small child. He says, yes, I will. I'll be fine. I'm not a child. But then he finds out that they are actually trying to trade him, which they did last year too. He, he puts his foot down and says, I'm not going. And they say, look, sorry, but you are. And in the end, he has no choice. So they're telling everyone he can't cope without his wife and child, mm-hmm. that we're doing it out of care. But they'll trade him anywhere, including the Western Bulldogs who've now taken him. So he's still not going to be up in Queensland. They've also got Dane Beams, who is retired on the back of mental health issues, he says. Dane Beams, has put he put his foot down and they paid him ridiculous money to get him back from Brisbane. They should never have brought him back. He wants his full settlement, which is outrageous, and he shouldn't get it. So that's been a problem for them. And then, of course, they lose the young player who was their rising star two years ago because they've paid him too much too, and they don't really want him either, but no one actually picks up the phone and tells him. So so is this all the footy department's fault, or does it go higher than that? It goes to the top. It, it, Mark Anderson, the new CEO, I think has been pretty hands-off in this area, could have done a lot more, but he's only been in the job a couple of years. It started with the previous administration. I've never heard the backlash against Nathan Buckley and Eddie Maguire like I have on Talkback over the past week or two. People are genuine, genuinely furious. And their relatively new list manager, Ned Guy, gives all these interviews, including on SEN and Fox Footy and Channel 7, and says, it's not a fire sale. It's not this, it's not that, that's a media beat-up. You know, everyone's saying it's a media beat-up. It's not a media beat-up. It was a fire sale, or as um, I think Mark Robinson called it, an internal combustion, or I can't remember the word he used, inferno. It has been an utter debacle, and finally they've come clean and admitted that in the last few days. So, yeah, their cavalier treatment, or it wasn't cavalier, of their players, when they're telling the media we all have to be so respectful about mental health, I'm sorry, Pot, kettle. Um, Eddie Maguire has been president of that club for 20 years, would it be? Longer, yeah. Mm. 21. Oh, look, mm. I, I think, you know, it could I, be, t- I don't could be think, time to move I don't on. think the members will ever move it on, but I, I do think the whole club. Well, it's interesting that they're becoming so antsy and vocal. They they did do a you know, big review, Peter Murphy, who is, I think, is he still on the board? He did a big review of Collingwood. And. Um, Gary Pert left as a result of that review um, and he tried to inter- introduce term limits on the board, but that, funnily enough, <laughs> didn't get through. <laughs> now, Corrie, in a moment, we're going to visit the cocktail cabinet. And it is that time of the week again, Corrie, now. It is time that we trot along to the cocktail cabinet. Oh, Did I'll I have you, one, actually, please. I'm actually installing a little cocktail cabinet in my house as part of my laundry renovation. Anyway, that's another story. Well, we have to go into the laundry to have a cocktail. No, it was a laundry. Now it's a cocktail cabinet. And Tony Noel is here again from Prince Wine Store. Thank you, Tony, for coming in. Hi, Caroline. Nice to see you again. Lovely to see you again. Um, You're back by popular demand, Tony. Oh, thank you. As you know, the the sparkling wine went off. The gin has been an enormous success with me and Corrie. And this week, thanks to Prince Wine Store, and you can visit princewinestore.com.au wherever you are. It is just the most wonderful purveyor of fine wines and spirits. And, Tony, today today we are doing the wine that I listed as one of my favourite drinks 
in the world, Shabley, and we're doing the William Fevre. Is that how you pronounce it? That's right. Um, tell us, you, you tell us about it and then we'll tell you. Okay, so the thing that's very unique about Shabley is that it's from the northern part of Burgundy. So um, it's about an, a couple of hours southwest of Paris and it's a rather cool region. But the Chablis region is actually a bit cooler than the rest of Burgundy. So um, traditionally, back back in the day, probably 150 million years ago, it was actually an ocean coming through there. So there were a lot of um, old fossils um, from the sea in, in the soil and then a high amount of limestone. So the, these these characteristics actually come through in the wine. So it's obviously Chardonnay that they're making there. And it's always got this beautiful sort of minerally complexity and structure to it. So it's not as ripe and rich as the other white burgundy that you get from the other regions in Burgundy. So the characteristics of Chablis always has this beautiful minerality and sort of lightness and, and balance and intensity. So um, they're very light, pure, balanced sort of style of Chardonnay. I had a, a glass or two of this with um, my friend Anthea a couple of weeks ago, a couple of girls when we were first allowed to have drinks at someone's house. To, I think it was the first time I'd sort of... The I, first think, I think the announcement was two hours earlier, wasn't it? And you hot-footed over to Anthony's. Well, the Tigers had won the flag. <laughs> it was my first Monday night without footy classified. And she, it's her, one of her favourite drinks. And we all agreed. It, well, the thing about Chablis, there's lots of things, but you know when you can't get your friend... You have a friend who will not touch Chardonnay and you have a friend who will not drink Sav Blanc. Everybody seems to agree... On Chablis. Is that a fair comment? It's a total fair comment because it's sort of got the middle ground because it's got the, the beautiful um, classic Chardonnay flavours, but it's minerally and light and balanced and it's versatile. So you can have a glass and, as an aperitif and just have a drink when you're just having a drink, but then you can have it with food and it's really versatile because it's got enough fruit weight and structure to hold up really well with food. I what- used to be a bit of a Horton's white burgundy girl a long time ago. I still love a good white burgundy, but... I think this is why I... Are they allowed to call it White Burgundy anymore? No, they're not allowed, we're not allowed okay. to say that because White Burgundy's a region. So what yep. do we call it now? But that's, That would just be Chardonnay just dry, or a dry oh, white okay, wine. Okay, dry white wine. Yeah. Anyway, I've, I've always been a fan and I've loved it, as you say, as a pre-dinner drink because you can have one and it um, it, it just it just settles with you so comfortably. And Shabley I've been doing for a couple of years and the William Fev, which you um, allowed Caro and I to try, I was living off almost intravenous drip like last <laughs> oh, summer. That's nice. not really the idea, Corrie. It's a, it's a, it's a nice aperitif for a glass of wine with dinner. <laughs> well, I, I liked it, you know, maybe five o'clock, fives over the summer holiday, but probably this will make your, um, you, you'll do a backflip in horror, Tony, but I like to fill it in a tumbler with ice blocks. And have it like that, which the wine connoisseurs will be saying no, no. But because this is such an um, relatively inexpensively priced Chablis compared to a lot of the other Chablis you get, I felt that that was okay. I felt like I wasn't being um, disrespectful to the winemakers by putting it with ice. Well, the first thing I would say, there are no rules with wine. And the only the only rule there is is that you just need to know what you like and what you like is, is right. It doesn't matter what anyone else tells you. And however you consume it, that you like it, is totally fine with me. <laughs> I know, but you do have a big smile on your face, a kind of twisted sand shoe. Oh, what's she doing with the ice blocks? Anyway, it's a lovely drop. Well, yes, William Fe- F-E-V-R-E. It seems to be pretty reasonably priced. Um, how, how, how much do we pay at Prince Wine Store? Well, the Prince have been running a little special on it. So it's normally 56 and I think it's down to $47. And they're happy to continue that for, for, for our podcast listeners. If we if you log on to the website and in the discount code, put in the mess, M-E-S-S. Love that. Um, you'll be able to buy that wine 
for for 40, I think it's 46 or 47, but I think they've only got about three or four dozen left because they're sort of coming to the end. It's the 2018 vintage and they, when they're a really good vintage, these wines go out on offer and they actually don't last that long because there's only X amount of them. So I think there's, there's they might have three or four dozen. So if, if you act quickly, you can buy a couple of bottles or maybe a six well, pack I, in the I'm next few days. Well, I'm taking a dozen. I'll beat Kaz on that one. <laughs> the, word, but, the word I would use, Corrie, is crisp. Yeah, it is crisp. It is, yeah, it is crisp, crisp yeah. is a really great word because it's got that beautiful minerally acidity, so it really lifts on the palate and it's yep. got a really lovely dry finish. So crisp is a really a, a very appropriate word to use. Ka- Caro and I shared the sample that you dropped off with us. Uh, we had a little drink well, on my back deck last night. And not, as, e- not even half a bottle, just a glass it was, each. We had a glass each. That's all <laughs> we had. And um, as we were talking, it was a beautiful evening and everything, I nearly dropped my glass of William Fev because uh, – I saw a rat climb. Well, actually, it didn't climb, and it was sauntering. It didn't scamper. It sauntered across the the roof of the garage, and then down into the veggie patch. Some and that was the very, very odd stuff going on with fauna at the moment. <laughs> did the Do you rat, think he wanted the rat, a drink? Did the rat and I shrieked, and you I said, I "What was that?" And I said, "Well, I've just watched this rat just make its way across the ha- back of the house." Well, I had my um, back to the garden, so I didn't see it. Did it? <laughs> did it re- emerge? Not that we've seen, but I did make sure the flywire was closed all night, so just in case, wandering, wandering fauna, as you say. But we had a lovely drink, and I think that's how I most enjoy drinking this particular. Chablis, Tony. And and what you're saying about only two or three um, cases left at Prince, I do need to tell Potties that if you think, oh, yeah, ha-ha, I'm sure there'll be something for me, could you just repeat the little anecdote <coughs> you told uh, Caro and I about your first outing here at the Cocktail Cabinet? What happened to that beautiful Gembrook sparkling after you mentioned it? Um, well, yeah, after we discussed it, um, the Prince wine store had a little bit of a flurry the next day, and I think they ended up selling about three dozen within 24 hours. So. Oh, good on you, messengers. <laughs> Just remember, M-E-double-S. They're, yeah. they're, they love a drink, our mob. <laughs> that, one more question. Obviously, Chablis is more expensive. Generally, you go to a restaurant, you think I'd love a Chablis, and you look at the wine list, and it's generally one of the more expensive ones. And obviously, this is a, a good bottle. This is not something you're buying to have every day. Is there a reason Chablis is more expensive? Um, just it, it has to come from France. They're made by hand. Um, they're really old vineyards. So William Fevre, for example, have been making wine for over 150 years. Um, they've got 80 acres of vineyards. Like you, you're basically paying for quality. Yep. And, and William Fevre are actually very well priced. And the, the wine we're talking about is the AC Chablis. So um, it, they do, do make higher levels of single vineyards, which can be much more expensive. And then, you know, you do get what you pay for. So you can actually get a sort of more superior quality if you like. But that's actually really good value, I think, for under $50 for really good French Chablis for me. Absolutely. Is, is, I'm quite happy to pay that. Yeah, I'm happy to pay. I'm happy to um, happy to take the three cases, really. You've talked me into it. <laughs> uh, so in the next couple of weeks, Potties, um, Tony will be joining us uh, at different times and we're going to talk about rosé. We're going to talk about the best Christmas cocktail that you can come up with. I don't know how that's going to go down with a 9am recording of because I assume you're going I'm to bring the cocktail I'm very glad it's in. a 9am recording and I think we'll just have to sample it the night before. Well, I, I was, oh, no, Tony I was, has to make it I was for thinking us. that the whole fun of that was that I actually made it for you. So yes. maybe if we just have a small sip. A little sip. <laughs> okay. I'm sure we'll cope. That was a cocktail cabinet, everyone. Thank you so much, Tony, for coming in. Thanks for having Thanks, me. Thanks, Tony. Bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Visit princewinestore.com.au and remember, as Tony said, use... The promo code M-E-S-S, that's like short for messenger, in caps, at checkout to receive a special listener discount. Thank you, Tony. Thank you.
What a pity, Corey, that it's only nine or ten in the morning and far too early to rip into that beautiful William Fev Chablis. But um, you have a crush. I do, Caro. I have a crush. Uh, this is this is the only mention of the US election uh, that I'm going to make this week. My crush, although I did... This is to, as I, bad as me. and I've only had two or three Richmond football clubs. How many US election I did start with Kamala Harris a, few, <laughs> a couple of years ago, Caro. If you're talking about who's on the money... When you throw that me many too, punches, me Corey, too. one of them's got to land. <laughs> yeah, that's probably... I'm joking. Joke. You were right to pick Kamala, but who was um, your crush this week? It's uh, President-elect Joe Biden's incoming chief of staff, Ron Klain. K-L-A-I-N. Remember that name. He gave an interview on Meet the Press, Caro, on Sunday, which incidentally is America's longest running show, television show, which is so interesting. I didn't know that. But anyway, I listened to their podcast, which is a direct take of the show itself. And he was interviewed there. And I just suddenly had this feeling the grown-ups are back in charge of the White House. And as Mike Murphy, one of my other favourite podcasts, said, podcasters said the other day, it's like America has coughed up that orange hairball and <laughs> thrown it down the toilet. Yep. Um, so why Ron Klain? Ron Klain was uh, Joe Biden's chief of staff when Joe Biden was vice president under Barack Obama and he was the man that Barack Obama put in charge of the Ebola crisis a few years ago. He was very sensible the other day. He he didn't take any cheap shots at the Trump administration his point was he was absolutely on message about it's all about the virus because if we don't get rid of the virus, which is killing thousands of Americans every day, we can't get on top of the economy. We can't get on top of this other stuff. And he sort of talked about the transitional team, the new task force that uh, Joe Biden has appointed to look of medicos and scientists to look after this whole issue. And he just spoke so sensibly and his whole thing is that in this presidential transition, of course, as we know, President Trump has not conceded defeat yet, which has caused problems. But he said nothing is going to drop in this change of power. We are on it. We are here. We will work on the coronavirus vaccine and getting people vaccinated. We are here. Meanwhile, President Trump, of course, is pursuing his legal challenges in several states. Most of the judges are throwing it out. Um, each time he makes a challenge, they're saying, no, wrong. But the problem, Caro, is that there is this this part of the public service in America called General Services Administration. And part of their job, they're in charge of all the Is this relating to the crush? Yeah, because I just want... Yes, it is. Sorry. I'm just giving you a history lesson here. Don't be bored. I've just listened to 10 minutes of Collingwood. Um, well, you asked me to talk about but Collingwood. Begin, begin... Well, you asked me to... Land the plane. You... Land the plane. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> the Chief um, of Staff So the General Services because... Administration is the organisation in charge of the transition between the teams. They lead the way. They cannot do this until the President says... It's time to work. So the whole of the public services America of America is stymied by the fact that Donald Trump hasn't said, Klain is coming out and saying, we will work with you under the radar. We're officially allowed to do this. You're not working against, against any laws or regulations. He has come to, he's talking to all of the leaders of the public service. He's bringing calm. He speaks in such an intelligent way with such huge respect. 
I'm a massive fan of this man. Um, regardless, again, as I say, of your politics, he is a decent, honourable public servant and he is my crush, as weird as that would sound. I have landed the plane now and now I'm going to take off again. With While you're book, on a roll. Book, screen and food. I have in my hand, Carol, A Promised Land by Barack Obama. This book has been embargoed. Gosh, I tell you what, talk about the number of forms that you have to sign for Random House to say that you will not sell a copy of this book before the 18th of November. I uh, have, so I haven't read, haven't read it because I have only just got it out of the box, but I have read the preface in the first chapter and a couple of things um, really appeal to me about this book. It's not inexpensive, it's $65, but I think it's the perfect Christmas gift. It's a huge tome, massive book, and it's only volume one. The first thing is he writes like a dream. He absolutely is a key communicator and a thoughtful writer. If I could write like this, uh, well, I would give up my day job and just um, I'd just sit in a study and be writing. It's, it's fantastic. The second thing is, is that he is quite self-critical and self-analytical, even in the early stages of the book as far as I've read. But the New York Times Review says that one of the refreshing things about this is he questions his own ability to be a great president. And he wonders, in fact, whether his drive to public office and his relentless pushing of himself, often at the sacrifice of his family, um, because he and Michelle did have marital issues at times, and it has been stressful for them. He wonders whether he was driven because of his the relationship he never had with his father, and deep down the little boy wants to prove something to the father. Well, you had me at the first page there. <laughs> like, I'm so with that. The... Um, the other thing about it too, just before I finish up, is it's um, it, it is it is a document of record, not so much one man's journey. So he looks at this this uh, this goes from his early years right through to the Bin Laden, um, uh, the capture and assassination of Bin Laden, and. What I really love about it is it captures all of that American history that is in our time again because he is our age. And we can remember incidences throughout this of, um, you know, the legacy of Kennedy. You and I grew up with the legacy of the two dead Kennedys, Robert and John, How, what a prof- and Martin Luther King, even though we're in Australia as kids that had a profound effect on us. Uh, we, we grew up with Ronald Reagan's America. We know so well the Bill Clinton years. Barack Obama captures our life as I have recalled it and that's what makes it such an interesting book. I really recommend it. I think it's fantastic. It's been the most anticipated book by publishers this year. Um, Michelle Obama's Becoming uh, sold thousands of copies in Australia. It was reprinted several times. I have no doubt that even though this book is a bit more expensive, it will um, have the same sort of impact. Highly recommend. Now, and you're a chapter in. Well done. Well, um, yeah, I've, I have done a lot of reading on it because there's been some pre-publicity from the Washington Post and the New York Times. But yeah, I haven't got that far. How do you cope with the um, with the embargo situation? I mean, well, is it there annoying? are no well, there are no police to take you away. But yes, books like this. So, for example, the new J.K. Rowling one that just came out, we had to sign an embargo on that. Um, they pop up every now and then and it's quite frustrating because I think we should be allowed, for example, to take a photo of a cover and Instagram it. No, you're not allowed to do it. You're not allowed to open the box. I'm not quite sure who comes around and taps well, on your door Well, that's what I was going to say. Who, who, is, who are the book police? Yeah, that's right. Well, exactly. But, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm not, like, I'm not likely to be pushing it at this stage because they might, they, might, um, 
the publishers might actually turn on you, which would not be a good thing. Now, you have a screen. I do. I went to the movies last Friday. I found myself wandering by a cinema on my own with a couple of hours off, and guess what was starting? (laughs) (laughs) Rams. Rams is a really good film. I think David no, gave I can't it. Wait um, to see it. David Stratton gave it four stars in the Australian. Um, it's actually directed by Jeremy Sims, the actor. It's a remake, I think, of an Icelandic film that um, was a drama that had a lot less dialogue than the Aussie one does. It's set in a place called Mount Barker in WA, where the mountains meet the sea. And it's oh, it's a, set in WA. Yeah, it's beautiful. Oh, I thought it was, for some reason, I thought it was New South Wales. Yeah, sorry, go No, on. no, it's set in Western Australia and it is absolutely beautiful, Corrie. The acting by the two lead characters, Sam Neill and Michael Caton, who play brothers who have not spoken for 40 years, even though they live next door to each other, and raise these award-winning special rams. And oh, it, it's pretty funny. It's pretty funny, but it's also tragic. It's very... Um, isn't it funny we've barely spoken about COVID today except for, you know, where it relates in America, as you said, and um, and also with the royals. But um, what about Prince William having COVID? Anyway, that's another issue that never really came out at rumor? the time. I thought it was true. Oh, anyway. Anyway, there there is a um, – there's not a pandemic in this film, but there's a um, – what's it called with, with – an epidemic that is – so it, it a is, virus amongst the sheep. Yeah, that is picked up, that completely shuts down the entire community. Miranda Richardson, who is the vet of the town, who is um, obviously English and becomes a vague sort of romantic interest with Sam Neill, is absolutely brilliant. Asha Keddie's in it. She's one, one of the local... She's a, the widow of the local fire chief who is now a fire chief herself. This is a great story about family, about farming. It is... Um, Although not a lot happens, you are absolutely riveted through the entire film and it is just beautiful to look at. Sam Neill, I mean, talk about national treasure. I know he's not even Australian, but he is just absolutely... We're sort of is. He's going out with our Laura. With our Laura Tingle, who, you know, you interviewed recently and he was happy to talk about him. It's a great film. Look, no, it's a very, very good film and I would highly recommend it. I loved every minute of it. Is it funny, like, or has it got that gentle humour like some of the other... Aussie films, The Dish, you know, I'm thinking that it's, sort of um, thing. I did. I thought as I was watching it, you know, it, it doesn't have, you know how so many Aussie films feel they have to be quirky. Mm. It's not quirky, but it does have some great humour. It's a great film about males and their issues and their relationships. There's a family tragedy that is, or some sort of great sadness that is hinted on but never really fully explored. It doesn't need to be. And it is, It's look, it's just a beautiful film. And it's, it's got a bit of, um, it's very current, you know, there's bushfires and it, it's, it, so there's a lot of drama too. And the way it ends is just, oh, it's beautiful. I cannot wait to see it. And Miss Jane has just confirmed, uh, thank you, Wikipedia and Google for assisting us that Prince William did have COVID according to the BBC in April. So you're on the money there. Oh, I'm um, surprised that you didn't you didn't miss that. Given no, I know, arm. I know. I'm not so interested in William these days because <laughs> I, I don't think he's the damaged one. I think Harry, especially watching The Crown, I realised why Harry is so thingo about this. His mother, because he was so close to his mother. Obviously, Diana told him a lot about her early years. That's my feeling. Anyway, on to food, and you have a recipe. This is a simple recipe that I haven't done yet, but I have been given it. I've eaten them twice. 
Um, you know, our friend Rick Loder has started making, or quite some years ago now, has started making bread, and he's a oh, he makes the most fabulous bread. Well, I had lunch with them, um, Rick and Sal, a few months ago, and Rick now makes these unbelievable lavash biscuits. They are ten times nicer than any of those ones you buy in the packet. You know, they can taste mm. a bit cardboardy. Mm. And um, I love a good homemade cracker. Oh, Corrie, these are absolutely beautiful. He's happy for me to um, give the recipe out, which I think is very Thank decent. Thank you, Rick. Family. Yes, I that's good. I think it's very <laughs> decent, decent of him. Two cups of plain flour, half a cup of warm water, one quarter of a cup olive oil. Miss Jane, you're going to put this on the show notes for us. The tablespoon each of nigella seeds and sesame seeds, a teaspoon of salt, and that makes three large trays. Corrie, you just roll it all very thin, put it on baking paper, sprinkle with salt and sesame seeds before cooking, and you roll the salt and the sesame seeds on afterwards so they stick on in the baking process mm-hmm. and yeah. they don't sort of fall off. Yep. And then you, and then they just all sort of, I guess you cut them up before you cook them. He's even said he's going to give my husband a masterclass in them. Corrie, they are absolutely beautiful. That's Rick Loder's Lavosh Crackers. Yum. And um, Miss Jane, you're going to tell us a bit about our other wonderful sponsor, Click for Vic. Absolutely. It's been really great, Caro, getting in everyone's uh, suggestions about great places around Victoria, about all the incredible producers, the farms. I mean, you're just talking about, you know, farm life there out in regional Victoria. And of course, it's all thanks to Click for Vic, which is all about buying and embracing Victorian businesses. You can head to the website, visitvictoria.com slash click for Vic. This one came from Janine in Gisborne. She is recommending... Indigo Luna, which after Janine emailed, I'm like, I need to find out more. Ethically made, locally made, this is for you, Caro, uh, yoga wear, swimwear and linen. (laughs) So Janine picked herself up a pair of the Ananda Capri dandelion leggings. Check out some (laughs) of the colours in this range. So this is from Torquay. They've got a showroom in Doctor. Torquay, Indigo Luna. We've got colours in the range like kale, clay, French blue, pistachio and cashew. Which sorry, they'll give your country road ones a run for their money. I know. I'm just and yet another leisure pant arrived that I had I'd forgotten I'd bought. I think it's gone. I think it has gone via Russia. It arrived last week. Are they good? No, shocking. I'm going on to click for Vic. So you can head on to the Click for Vic website and then you'll find Indigo Luna, family-run, eco-conscious, sustainable practices. And, of course, uh, like Janine, you can pop into the showroom in uh, Torquay as well. Great recommendation, though, because we've been talking a lot about food and cheese and wine. But great to uh, know that Click for Vic well, can Janie, line you up with those fashions. Janie, I went. Uh, I did some Christmas shopping. I haven't um, taken anything out of the. I actually haven't paid for them yet because I've got a few baskets. I'm trying to work out who has what. So I've got quite a few baskets online shopping going at the moment. But I went into Click for Vic and I went to the Lodden Shed, L-O-D-D-O-N, shed.com.au, which is part of the Vic for, the Click for Vic website. And they have the most beautiful little candles uh, in white tumblers and black tumblers. They are $20. 
I'm very taken with um, one in particular that uh, the flavour, I'm just looking for it here, is patchouli and cashmere. That it's seems also, quite reasonable for a... They're, mm. Well, they're as big as your hand. So they say little, which I always think is the mini one, but they actually, in the photograph, they're the size of your hand. And I thought that's what I'm just going to put in all the girls' Christmas stocking, my girls' um, Christmas stockings, because we love a candle. And there's just so many terrific things. Look, click for... they're not listening. There won't be much of a <laughs> surprise. But I guess they know Santa's not Oh, yes. Now. Well, I didn't actually think of that. Or maybe they don't listen to the podcast. They probably don't. I think they do. Um, but I, but it's it, it's just um, what I love about the Click for Vic website, Jane, is you do feel rather holy and benevolent by shopping with it because we're helping Victoria at its time of need. But then you very quickly the consumer takes over and you just, I want that, I want that, I want that. <laughs> I have been putting into each of the search engines knitted tea cosy and I, not one has come up yet on Click for Vic. So that's not because it's not there. It's because I can't find it. So if any of our Click for Vic friends and suppliers are doing knitted tea cosies, could you please let me know? The what email is uh, feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Thank you, Jane. <laughs> Very quickly, that wonderful tea cosy, I keep saying to you that you used to sell this brand yeah, at Plum my and bookshop. Ashby, yeah. Plum and Ashby. Do they still... No, they're only doing candles. They've moved away from homewares and they're just doing scents and candles. I know it's Devo completely. padded tea cosy. It needs a wash. It's a bit burnt. Yours is a bit grim, I have to say. (laughs) It works, though. It really works. (laughs) It's the most – anyway, no, you're right about feeling holy. Never in the past have I sort of been able to – spend money without feeling a bit guilty. Now you go, look, I'm supporting. I'm yeah, supporting you do. Local you do. And I just, and I think that's okay to feel that. You know, I mean, I'm being quite honest about that. I'm not doing it in a patronising way. I'm a small business myself, God knows. But you do sort of feel that you are doing something to help the economy along. It's a bit like empty esky, that sort of thing. You know, let's go yep. to let's go to Mildura or let's go to Malakuta or let's go to Mount Beauty or wherever it is. So I just think this is it's such a great synergy to have Click for Vic with our podcast, I truly believe. Well, um, if you want to get all the details or just do the official bit, Corrie, the best of Victoria delivered at visitvictoria.com forward slash click for Vic or we've got all the links in our show notes and we'll mention those uh, great little ones we discovered today. Oh, good I so, Very quickly, I just want to say that I'm grumpy about something very obvious, Corrie, and I'm sort of copying you here. I am so over the return of traffic already. I never thought I would say this. I mean, I drove down the empty streets of Melbourne, up and down, into town, got there in five minutes, didn't appreciate it, and suddenly in the last week or two, sitting in traffic again is driving me nuts. I'd just forgotten how annoying it was. Yeah, and particularly at Christmas time. You know, it's just... um it's just, it's really, it's really hard. And so I just go back to what we said last week, Carol. Walk to your local village, everybody, or ride a bike or push the pram or just let's be sensible about no no traffic. Let's take it easy. <laughs> now. You can kick off six quick questions. Um, right. It's the 100th anniversary of Qantas. Can you remember your first flight, Caro? I certainly can. I was 10 years old. I have never been so excited. I was flying to Malulabar. So I guess I was flying to the Maroochydore Airport it was a Qantas flight. Um, I was with, I was chaperoned by a lovely gentleman called Hector Ogilvie, who was a friend of the family I was going to stay with. I was staying with my friend Oh, so you travelled for the first time without parents? Yep. And um, wow, that's I big. was invited up to stay with my friend Dot at her place at Malulabar. 
and the whole family was beside themselves with excitement. I still remember the roast chicken we were served on the plane. It was like being in a restaurant. Hector was the most lovely man. He's no longer with us. His um, daughter is a good friend of mine. But um, I remember I have never been so excited. I still I don't remember one second of fear. And um, isn't it amazing? More than a, So 100 years of unbroken, that is a world record. And when they started up Qantas, those three entrepreneurs, I think it was only 15 years after the Wright brothers. Yeah, it amazing. was. What it about was. you? What's your first flight? Uh, a trip to Sydney with the family. We our, our parents took my brother and I up to Sydney to see hair, which at that stage uh, – Henry Bolting and the Victorian government had said it was not appropriate to come to Melbourne for censorship reasons. So we, so it must have been about 1969, 1970. You saw hair when you were nine or eight. I had very advanced parents. No, well, my father, being a, the editor of the age, had railed against this decision of censorship. Fair so enough. he just said, right, you know what, we're all going up to Sydney. We stayed at the old Commodore Hotel in Double Bay, which the was Chateau Commodore. Yes, we I've did, stayed there which was once. gorgeous. I remember sitting there having a milkshake uh, downstairs. Um, what's that street in military? Not anyway. Whatever the road, whatever, whatever Knox, that. Knox. Yeah, Knox is it? Yep. Yeah. And just thinking that I was in Hollywood or something, I thought it was so terrific. <laughs> I remember driving over the. Um, we went to Taronga Park Zoo. I remember driving over the um, Sydney Harbour Bridge. I can feel how I felt. I can I can actually go straight back there to my nine or ten year old self, but that was the first flight I ever took, so that was very exciting. Um, now, you've asked me to ask you this question. I'm not sure what you mean, but I can't wait to hear. Do you have a COVID regret? Oh well, this was a question for either of us, really. I mean, everyone I see has a COVID regret. I didn't do anything over those three months except oh, walk ten thousand miles. I didn't, you know, keep catch up with enough old friends I didn't make over bread. the phone. <laughs> I, well, I didn't learn to make bread, which I do really regret. And my home improvements weren't bad, but I would have liked to have – I still haven't cleared out my undies so drawer. It, oh, and I still oh, haven't please. cleared out my jumper drawer. I don't want to hear about your undies. Well, you know, just, you know, not just, you know, like throwing out old tights and all that stuff. I should have done that and I didn't. I know that's really shallow, but I didn't downsize or shed as much as I would have liked. Je ne rien, Caro. Corrie, what's I the, mean, let the undie draw go. What's the creepiest thing you've seen this week? Okay, I don't know how I got onto this, Caro. I took myself off Facebook in a personal sense a few months ago, but the business, my bookshop, still has a Facebook account. Somehow I got into this um, weird place where this popped up uh, November 16, so a couple of days ago now, and it's from a website page called One Day Closer to Rain. And I think these people have a property in WA, but I can't quite work that out. But it is, they say, the world's biggest huntsman spider ever recorded. Well, the photographs of it, I'm just going to show the screen here. (laughs) If anybody is interested in what Jane and Caro have just gone ooh-ah about, go into one day closer to rain in brackets drought. There are 53,000 members of this group. It's a public group. You can see the photos of the huntsman. It is just the most chilling thing I have ever seen. Uh, I'm well, not it mad was up until, up until the rat. Oh, Monday no, night. the rat was friendly. He was just <laughs> ambling along looking for a glass of Chablis, one for me. Um, Caro, thoughts on Adelaide as Australia's most livable city? This was interesting, wasn't it? Oh, this is so – I'll close that border, I say, Dan. Don't let them in. Well, they say, oh, come on, no, don't be like don't, that. No, honestly, come on. I don't want the coronavirus back in Victoria, do they, you? They certainly have a lot less traffic than Victoria than Melbourne. 
and Adelaide, I love Adelaide. I go there a lot for work. The Adelaide Oval has reinvigorated that town. You know, there were so many wonderful things about Adelaide. Um, but I reckon the Rundle Mall doesn't quite cut it compared to um, my favourite streets in Sydney and my favourite parts of Melbourne. I'm, I hate to be mean, but, I, you know, look, it, it is beautiful. It's a lovely place to go and visit. But no, I would give. I would put Brisbane ahead of Adelaide. To be absolutely brutal. Oh, okay. And there you go. It, you know, the, the gallery's beautiful too. I don't know. I, I was interested to see it won that award. And yeah, they've had a tough week, Adelaide, and I love them. I think the people are lovely. But, but stay over there, Adelaideans. Oh, no, I'm just a bit surprised. At, anyway, I think anyway, we're thinking of you. And Daniel we... Andrews will come to regret those yeah. comments he made about Adelaide. Earlier well, this year, well, I yeah, and also, I, as we've been saying in this podcast throughout the coronavirus, there but for the grace of God, go I. None of us should actually have. I'm saying this with a sense of humour, Adelaide. We're really thinking of you, and keep wearing your masks, everybody. But it is this virus is just going to keep cropping up, and we should have sympathy for all governments trying to deal with it. Still, a lot of empty streets in that um, city too. It's sort of uh, Hobart would get ahead of Adelaide too. Anyway, after all these years, Corrie, which song lyric still perplexes you? Macarthur Park, Caro. <laughs> so I think it was written by Jimmy Webb or James Webb. Um, Performed anyway, by Richard Harris. Yes, and then later by Donna Summer. And I think even Frank Sinatra might have done, as he did often, a cover version of that song. But it came up to, it, it came again into my stratosphere reading the book that I talked about last week, Trio by William Boyd, because one of the key characters is walking around, you know, every shop or uh, radio seems to have, the, and it keeps playing on his head, MacArthur's Park is melting in the dark, all the sweet green icing flowing down. Someone left the cake out in the rain. I don't think that I can take it because it took so long to bake it and I'll never have that recipe again. As a kid, I thought, mm, must be sort of psychedelic drug talk. And then you try and analyse it, like which drug, it's, what it's are It's about they? a love affair. <laughs> it's about a love affair gone wrong. Okay. Come on. All right, I'll never have that recipe again. Anyway, I'll never have that recipe again. <laughs> Thank we, you, Carol. That's the one that still perplexes we used me. To, we used to laugh about it when we were kids and think it was pretty funny. Anyway, Corrie, that's the show for this week. Oh, lovely. What lovely a way show. to end. I'm sure we'll have lots of theories about MacArthur Park when... Um, yeah, we want to hear your thoughts, Potties. Does it make sense to you? Is there a song that still perplexes you? Thank you, Corrie. We'll you will continue to talk about American politics. I'll continue to bang on about football. Never She's the trying to be nice. Never the twain shall meet, but um, we'll get there somehow. Thank you to our podcast supporters, Red Energy, Click for Vic and Prince Wine Store. Thank you to our cocktail cabinet advisor, Tony Noel. And thank you, everybody who thank is you, listening. Thank you, Miss Jane. I'm about to get oh, to sorry, Miss Jane. Oh, sorry, sorry. If you want to give us stars on Apple iTunes, it will help others find our podcast. Thank you for your feedback, comments. Please send feedback, comments, tips and suggestions to the Don't Shoot the Messenger Facebook page. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram at Don't Shoot Pod. We tweet, just join at Don't Shoot Pod. And you can email us. Gee, there's a lot of ways to get in touch, Corrie. Feedback at dontshootpod.com.au. Thank you, Miss Jane and Corrie. Don't shoot the messenger, Caro. Don't shoot the messenger, Caro.